The reading is from uh, the book of Nehemiah, uh, starting at just the end of chapter 7 and reading into verse 12 of chapter 8. Ezra reads the law. When the seventh month had came uh, and the Israelites had settled in their towns, all the people came together as one in the square before the water gate. They told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. He read it aloud from daybreak till noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, women, and others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Ezra, the teacher of the law, stood on a high wooden platform built for the occasion. Behind him, on his right, stood Mattathiah, Shema, Aniah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Maseah. And on his left were Pediah, Mishael, Malkijah, Hashem, Hashbadana, Zechariah, and Meshulam. Ezra opened the book. All the people could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, the people all stood up. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God. And all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen. Amen. Then they bowed down and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. The Levites, Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akub, Shabbatai, Hodiah, Maaseah, Kelita, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, and Peliah instructed the people in the law while the people were standing there. They read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people understood what was being read. Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and teacher of the law, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Nehemiah said, Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks, and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our God, our Lord. Sorry. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be still, for this is a holy day. Do not grieve. Then all the people went away to eat and drink, to send portions of food and to celebrate with great joy because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Steve. Great job on all those names. Uh, if I can have my own welcome, my name's Jonathan G. I'm the vicar here, and you are very welcome, uh, whoever you are, however old or young, however new, Wonderful to have some little people. If you find my sermon boring, do just go to the back and run around. If that's, that's fine. That's absolutely fine. Uh, 
fantastic to have our youth minister leading our service. If you weren't here at the beginning and heard that, you probably could have guessed it because we had skittle prayers and things like that. Kate leads our youth work. Just a point about the light party. This year, October the 31st, three weeks today, 21 days today, it will be in here, so we won't be having our normal evening service. There will be the light party for primary school children. There will be an after party for secondary school people. And there's a special student event that will be downstairs afterwards, but there will be no normal evening service that day, just, just so you know. It only happens once every five or six years like that, but this is the year. Also, the Lord has answered my main prayer this evening, which was that the heating thermostats would finally kick in, because it was last week we couldn't get the heating on, and it was cold. This week it's working well, but the thermostats weren't working well, so we were frying and dying in the band practice earlier. Anyway, it will be serviced this week, and hopefully it will serve us well for the winter. We are looking at the book of Nehemiah. This is the third in, out of four uh, sermons. We're about 500 years before Jesus. Nehemiah was one of the Jews whose ancestors had been taken into exile in Babylon about 600 years uh, BC when Daniel and co. were taken into Babylon. Uh, the Jews were there for 60 or 70 years. Some of them went back to Jerusalem and rebuilt the temple. A lot of them just stayed there in Babylon. And when the Babylonians were overrun by the Persians, they were part of the Persian Empire. Nehemiah was the cupbearer to the king in Persia. That means he was really the number two. He was the most trusted advisor to the king. And when he heard that Jerusalem was in disgrace, that the walls were broken down, that the people were in disgrace... Something stirred in him. He prayed about it for a month or two. He asked permission from the emperor to go. He went to Jerusalem and he encouraged the people and he got the walls rebuilt against great opposition. Uh, and we saw last week, chapter 6, verse 15, they did it in 52 days. Quite an extraordinary thing. But the main point wasn't in rebuilding the walls. The main point was to give encouragement to the people of God to live as the people of God. No point having good walls if the people are downtrodden, that the walls help give confidence to the people that they can start to worship God again and live life the way he wanted them to. And it's the same for us. We did a redevelopment here and redeveloped this building over the last decade. But the church is not primarily the building, it's the people. And it's helping each other to follow God, to obey his ways, to come into relationship with him through Jesus. That is the main job. Uh, so the walls are rebuilt halfway through the book of Nehemiah, but there's still half the book to go because it's really about rebuilding the people. And we're looking tonight at the place that God's word, the scriptures, play in that. So let's pray that God will speak to us afresh through them. Lord God, our Father, you have not changed down the years. You are eternally loving and good and want your people to live your way, holy lives, in relationship with you. And we praise you for the example of Nehemiah. And as we think about how Nehemiah and Ezra taught the people from your word and the people were rebuilt, speak to us as a church here at St. Paul's, as individuals, we pray. Come by your Holy Spirit and give us grace to follow you better. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, round about the time I was ordained, which is now a very, very long time ago, that was 1988, so that's 33 years ago, uh, there was a big ferment in Eastern Europe. In 1989, the Berlin Wall came down, the Iron Curtain came down, all sorts of things opened up. Uh, and one of the things, there was much more, many more people from Russia came over here, people were free from the West to go into the East. 
Uh, I remember reading about a poet called Irina Ratajinskaya who came over about 30 years ago. And she was on a tour of, her, of, of the UK reading her poetry, staying in hotel rooms. And she noticed that in every hotel room by the bed was a Bible. And in most cases, unread. Brand new, not open. Some cases people looked at, most cases they hadn't. She said, we Russians would have stolen it. You in the West, you ignore it. Which is worse? Which is worse, to ignore God's word or to steal it? Well, one is a crime, <laughs> that's the stealing it. But one is foolish to the extreme. God has spoken, and yet we ignore it. In this country, we are so familiar with having the scriptures in our own languages, in our own language, that we take it for granted and let it gather dust. And whenever people who haven't had the word of God in their own languages get it, they are so excited. And here we find the people of God who had been downtrodden, who hadn't been taught the scriptures for so long. When they read it again, it has a profound impact on them. Chapter 8, verse 1, we get. Uh, all the people come together uh, in the square. They told Ezra, the teacher, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded Israel. All of them are there. At the end of the chapter, a bit further after Steve read, we find eight days later, day after day, from the first day to the last, this eight-day festival, Ezra read from the book of the law of God. They celebrated the festival for seven days. On the eighth day, in accordance with the regulation, there was an assembly. This is a whole week of the people coming together to feed on the scriptures, say, what does God want to say? What can we do about it? There was a great spiritual renewal. It's not just about the walls being rebuilt. It's that God poured his spirit out and his people had a hunger for his word again. They studied the scriptures. They worshipped God. That's the right balance. Uh, some churches ignore the scriptures. That's not good. Some churches almost worship the scriptures as if it's Father, Son and Holy Bible. It's not. The Bible is the word of God, but we worship God. And as Christians, we are to be people of his book who are devoted to studying his word the early church, Acts chapter 2, verse 42, we read this. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, the breaking of bread and to prayer. And one of the reasons I think the church in the West has been so weak is that God's people have not devoted themselves to his word. Just think for yourselves for a minute. How much time do you give to reading God's word, to letting it become part of us, to thinking about it? compared to how much time you spend reading the newspaper or watching YouTube videos or whatever it is. We don't take it seriously enough, but the early church did, and that was one of the sources of their strength. The Church of England has not always been good at this either. There's a great ferment going on in the Church of England at the moment, and a number of things are coming up for discussion. Uh, in theory, the Church of England is absolutely committed to the Scriptures. This is an old book of common prayer, and at the back of this, you find 39 articles of religion, which are one of the foundation documents. I'm not going to read them all to you. You may be disappointed to learn. You can look them up on Google afterwards. But I will read you number 20, which says this. The Church hath power to decree rites or ceremonies and authority in controversies of faith. So... It's fine for the church to decide how, how to order its life. If we should have rings when you get married, that's fine. Uh, if you should pray the Lord's Prayer when you worship publicly, that's fine. And it goes on, yet it is not lawful for the church to ordain anything that is contrary to God's word written. So the church may not decide anything that is contrary to the scriptures. And I love this bit. 
neither may the church so expound one place of scripture that it be repugnant to another. <laughs> it's wonderful the way they put it together. But we trust that God, in giving us his word, there is a unity and a consistency. And if we don't quite see how things fit together, we probably haven't got it right ourselves yet. And we need to go on praying and working. So this is the Church of England officially believes this, that the church is God's word and we mustn't do anything that's contrary to it. So do pray for the Church of England because there is a bit of a ferment in the church these days. Uh, the churches in the West are all getting used to being in post-Christendom and that the world doesn't necessarily think what the church thinks. Uh, so there's some quite difficult decisions. But the scriptures are where we find God's word. Nehemiah, in his day, we find the people decided to be people of the book. And we need to be people of that book too. Uh, so three things that happened as they engaged with the scriptures. And here's the first one. The first one was it brought them sorrow. Did you hear all those tears? They were told not to weep. Chapter 8, verse 9. When Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and teacher of the law, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people have been weeping as they listened to the words of the Lord. Now, it could be they were tears of joy, but in context, as you read the whole chapter, they realized that they hadn't been doing a whole load of things that God had said they should do. So actually, these were tears of conviction, of sin, of having got things wrong. And they were convicted to their core. In chapter 9, verse 1, uh, so a couple of weeks later, on the 24th day of the same month, first week had been this festival, the Israelites gathered together fasting and wearing sackcloth and putting dust on their heads. They decided to, they'd heard what God's word said and they were really going to take this seriously because they realized we've got so much wrong. Uh, the, the word of God didn't just speak to their heads, it spoke to their hearts, didn't just speak to their minds and their intellects, spoke to their emotions. Uh, this wasn't Nehemiah and Ezra uh, using manipulation or emotionalism. But it was a proper emotional response to God's word. Uh, and if you've been a Christian any length of time, or if you're on your way to faith in Christ, you will have begun to experience when God by his spirit convicts you of something that's not right. When you're miles away from God, you may think that you've led the best life that there is, and if only everybody was as good as you. As you come closer to the Lord and his light, and his light shines into your life, you start to see all the bits that are a bit grubby the bits that are unworthy, and God convicts us. And this had happened on an enormous scale there. They heard what they should be, they realized that they weren't. They heard what they could have been and what they'd missed out on. Uh, the writer to the Hebrews in the New Testament puts it like this, Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12. The word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of our hearts. And again, if you've been a Christian any length of time, engaging with God's word, you will know when God convicts you of something that needs to change. Elsewhere, the scriptures are described as like <clears throat> a fire or a hammer that breaks the rock. So as we read the scriptures, let's ask God to show us where do we get things wrong? Uh, not that we can beat ourselves up, that's not the point. The point is to repent and get them right and start following life the way God wants. Uh, it's not that God wants us to be miserable, but often the tears of repentance come before the next stage. And the next thing we find is that the word brings joy. So there's tears, then there's joy. Chapter 8, verses 10 to 12. <clears throat> 
Nehemiah said, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The Levites calmed all the people saying, be still. This is a holy day. Then all the people went away to eat and to drink, to send portions of food and to celebrate with great joy because they now understood the words that had been known to them. So the day of great joy. I don't know if you get the point. It was a holy day, so they should rejoice. There's something in our culture that thinks if it's holy, it must be somber and solemn. Not necessarily. The holiness of God can lead to tears of repentance, but the holiness of God can lead to tremendous joy because when we see God in his beauty, when we hear him speak to us, when we're in relationship with him, that is what we are made for. Yes, there is a time for being quiet. And yes, there's a time for rejoicing. So I wonder how good you are at knowing joy and rejoicing in the Lord. Uh, I used to know an old Christian who was slightly scary uh, when I was a, a, a young Christian. But he would often raise his beady eye at me and say, Jonathan, are you rejoicing? I, I, was, I was a bit terrified, actually. Of it, and, I, and I'm not sure it was the best way to go about it. But it was a good question. Am I rejoicing? St. Paul says we should rejoice in the Lord always. There are always things to thank God for. There are always green skittles okay, where you can thank God for things. There are, and supremely that God loves us, that Jesus has died for our sin, that we're in relationship with him, that we're adopted in his family. And now the Bible is described as so much good things to eat and drink, like milk that's good for babies and toddlers, like meat that gives substance, like honey that's sweet as we taste it. So first of all, the word of God brought tears of repentance. Secondly, it brought joy. This was a wonderful day to celebrate. The people heard the word of God again uh, for the first time in a long time. And then thirdly, it brought obedience. They chose to obey it. Uh, let's read on from where Steve left us. So chapter 8 from verse 13. On the second day of the month... The heads of all the families, along with the priests and Levites, gathered around Ezra the teacher to give attention to the words of the law. They found written in the law, which the Lord had commanded through Moses, that the Israelites were to live in temporary shelters during the festival of the seventh month, and that they should proclaim this word and spread it throughout their towns and in Jerusalem. Go out into the hill country, bring back branches from olive and wild olive trees, from myrtles, palms and shade trees, to make temporary shelters, as it's written. So the people went out and they brought back branches and built themselves temporary shelters on their own roofs. Where have we got to? I missed a line there. In. Never mind. The whole company that had returned from exile built temporary shelters and lived in them. From the days of Joshua the son of Nun until that day, the Israelites had not celebrated like this and their joy was very great. Their joy was very great. Have we got a bit more? There we go. No, that was verse 13 to 18. I think we missed a bit here. Oh, well, there we go. Their joy was, we'll do after. I'll read verse 18 as well. Day after day, from the first day to the last, Ezra read, read from the book of the law of God. They celebrated the festival for seven days, and on the eighth day, in accordance with the regulation, there was an assembly. There we are. So this was, this festival, the seventh month, our sort of autumn time, September time. The Feast of Tabernacles was there to remember 
how God had brought them out from Egypt and how they wandered around in the wilderness those 40 years before they came into the promised land. And the idea was that they lived in tents or shelters or booths for a week just to remember that bit of their history. It's a bit like New Wine. If you've ever been to New Wine, you go camping for a week, you worship the Lord and you engage the scriptures. It's a little bit uncomfortable, but it's good for you to... Uh, do. Actually, just, just a sideline. New Wine summer festivals haven't happened the last two years. Uh, they're open again next year. I'd love it if we had an enormous group from the church going. Uh, the main church group will go to week A. There'll probably be a whole group of people going to group week B as well. Do come, um, because it's a tremendous thing to give a week to engaging with worship and teaching and getting to know each other. It's, it's a great thing to do. Um, that's a bit of an aside. But it was that sort of the Festival of Tabernacles was that. So they read this, that they should do it, and they hadn't been doing it. And they didn't do what you think 21st century British people might do when they heard that. If, if our generation heard that, we would probably say, how quaint. I wonder why they did that and carry on ignoring it. They did it. They thought, we're meant to do this. God's word said it. We'll go and do it. They went and cut down trees. They put up booths. They camped on their roofs. They camped in their shelters. They did exactly what it said. Uh, and then, in chapter 9... You find when they've listened to the whole word of God well, for, for a whole week, they then decide to have a big repent of what they've got wrong and decide what they're going to do about it. So just uh, chapter 9, verse 38. In view of all this, that's chapter 9. You'll have to go and read chapter 9 yourself to know what all this was. But in view of all this, we're making a binding agreement. We're putting it in writing, and our leaders, our Levites, and our priests are affixing their seals to it. And then there's a whole lot of names of everybody who's signing it in chapter 10. And in chapter 10, verse 28 and 29, the rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the musicians, the temple servants, and all who separated themselves from the neighboring peoples for the sake of the law of God, together with their wives and all the sons and daughters who are able to understand, all these now join their fellow Israelites, the nobles, and bind themselves with a curse and an oath. They took it pretty strongly to follow the law of God given through Moses, the servant of God, and to obey carefully all the commands, regulations, and decrees of the Lord our God. They, they decided they were going to obey it. Now, I don't know where you've got to. Have you got to the points in your Christian faith yet where you've come to realize that the scriptures are the word of the Lord? As we say after every reading, this is the word of the Lord. Once you have, are you going to put that faith into practice by reading them and by doing what they say? Just reading the scriptures and not doing what they say, like it goes in one ear and out the other, is never going to lead to mature Christian faith. It might be interesting, but it doesn't lead to maturity. I often wondered how people could have amazing encounters with God in worship or on an Alpha Holy Spirit day, and yet the lives sometimes never changed. And I realized it's you can have all the encounter in the world. But if you don't start putting into practice what God's word says, it doesn't change. There are lots of people encountered Jesus when he walked this earth. But only those who decided to follow him there, it really made the big difference to. And this is where reading the scriptures and doing what they say is so important. Uh, Jesus, just before he ascended, said this, the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28. The 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus told them to go. When they saw Jesus, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. 
Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And here's the phrase I want to highlight. And teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Once we love Jesus, we will do what he says. And it really needs, no one can do this for you. It's each of us on our own needs to decide, I'm going to read this. I'm going to learn to get to know God better. And I'm going to do what it says. We, we need each other in this. That's why we have small groups and prayer triplets and formations and about things to encourage each other to talk through, well, what does this mean? How do I do this? How do you live this out? And we encourage everybody to be part of one of those. Jesus himself said, just hearing his word isn't enough. You need to put it into practice. Do you remember the parable of the two builders we looked at on Sunday morning a few weeks ago? Uh, Jesus said, everyone who hears these words of mine and, and puts them into practice... Uh, and obeys is like a wise man who built his house on the rock the rain came down the streams rose the winds blew and beat against that house yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock but everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice does not do what he says is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand the rain came down the streams rose the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell with a great crash We've had a bit of a theme of storms running through the early part of our worship, didn't we? And there's Noah emerging from it with the rainbow. There was oceans. There was when the storm comes. Jesus says if we listen to his word and put it into practice and obey it, then we'll stand firm. So I just want to encourage you to choose to read the scriptures daily. There are so many wonderful resources we have. Uh, and if, that's, if you have no idea where to start, start with one of the Gospels, but come and have a chat with one of us who are on the team here, and we can point you in the right direction. Loads of helpful Bible reading tools and apps uh, to give us good places to go to, as we get to know it. The most important thing is the decision to read it. After choosing to follow Jesus as my Lord, I think that choosing to read the Scriptures every day is probably the most important decision I ever made. Some people might think, well, what about your wife who you chose to marry isn't that more important I don't think I would have got to marry Juliet if I wasn't reading the scriptures each day I don't think that this was a, a mar I married way above my station <laughs> that was a, that's, that's, um, but it's in choosing to put Jesus first and live out life that God brought me to someone else who was trying to do that uh, it's this, so it, this is a choice to follow Jesus so when you read the scriptures each day, it doesn't matter when you do it. Early in the morning is best for me. First lull of the day might be best for you. In a, uh, if you drive a lot in a lay-by half an hour in the middle of the day, it might be bedtime. Whatever the best time of the day for you is, come humbly. God, this is your word. Please speak to me. Come expectantly. Expect God to say something. Keep a notebook there and jot down the verse or the thought that's there. I so often forget. The act of writing it down helps me remember it. Uh, come honestly, there'll be lots of questions you've got and things you don't understand. That's fine. The Bible is God's word. We can't possibly expect to understand it all at once. But just keep a pending tray of things that you're not quite sure about. Uh, we're told to sort of chew it over, not just to read it once, but chew it over. Uh, read it imaginatively. Put yourselves in the shoes of a character. Think, what was it like for them? Imagine the scenes. Uh, read it prayerfully. Just read it slowly and be still until you find prayer rising. 
But most importantly, read it obediently. When there's a promise, claim it. When there's a warning, take it seriously. When there's something we need to do, do it. And even more importantly, read it daily. Uh, now, I've trespassed on a few, it's Bible Sunday in a few weeks' time, and Lydia's going to be preaching. And I've already preached half a Sunday of that, so there we go. Lydia will be able to build on this, or just repeat it all for you, <laughs> whatever, uh, but from another angle. But this is so important. My sense is that we take the Bible quite seriously here at St. Paul's, but still not seriously enough. And we need to read it, we need to encourage each other to do that, and worship God under the, in the power of his spirit, because uh, living it out is difficult, but it's the route to joy. So I've said quite enough. Um, why don't we stand? Perhaps the band would come back ready to lead us uh, in our next song. We're going to sing The Lord is My Shepherd. I think, is that the song we're going to sing, Ross? It is. Um, so that great psalm. And we'll come to the Lord, who is our shepherd, who's promised to guide us, to feed us, to protect us. We come with all our concerns, with all our questions, with our anxieties, with our difficulties. <clears throat> but let's just be still before him. And in the stillness, Lord, we bow before you. Send your Holy Spirit upon us now. And uh, talk to us in our mind, put thoughts in our mind about the best time for us to read the scriptures. We want to know you better and you've spoken through your word. So talk with us. Put within us a desire to read and follow. Let's just be still. See what the Lord brings to mind. some of us are feeling very convicted by your spirit that we have ignored your word forgive us and thank you for this reminder this evening to take it seriously come by your spirit and give us a fresh love for your word and a, a determination to do what it says others have never perhaps tried we're very new to faith, to church, to Christianity. Guide us by your spirit that as we read the teaching of Jesus supremely, with the whole scriptures, that you would help us see how to put it into practice in our day and age, in the 21st century, with all the things that are going on in our generation. For us at St. Paul's, Show us how to live out the scriptures. For our Church of England wider, with all the questions and debates going on, may we choose afresh to follow the way of scriptures and not to ordain anything that is repugnant to them. So pour your spirit on us now. And as we come to worship you, the God of the scriptures, as we come to share bread and wine together, minister to us and draw us after you. And all these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's sing together.